Welcome to the session on the 6th of April. Today we've got a special treat in that we are exploring what I've called the Yoga of Acceptance. But before we do that, let's close our eyes and do a guided meditation. The eyes are closed. Feet are resting comfortably on the floor. Hands in your lap or on the side of the chair, whatever is most comfortable. As we begin by becoming aware of our body. Becoming aware of all the points of contact between the body, the chair and the floor. As we survey the body, becoming aware of the extremities. And of the limbs. and of the torso and of the head and neck and of the body as a whole become aware of the body as a whole Feel its density, its weight, its materiality. Visualize the internal processes, the blood moving through the vessels, the beating of the heart. breath moving in and out of the lungs. The diffusion of nutrients and wastes across the cell membrane at the cellular level. And marvel at the intelligence of your own physical being. That this process, these processes continue without interruption. Knowing inherently what to do. As if guided by some intelligence. We could call it the intelligence of the process of life itself. Moving outside of the body. Imagine all the processes of life occurring around you. Other beings in the room. of microscopic life forms outside the trees the grass all the vegetation coursing with the force of life according to the same pattern or intelligence a 
open yourself to the experience of the totality of life in all its forms knowing that you are not separate from it that the same intelligence that guides your life processes guides all life processes all other beings life forms from the microscopic to the macroscopic all dancing to the same song of life all life forms in the ocean life forms at altitude in the deserts in every habitat and ecosystem the intelligence of the force of life pulses through all things inanimate objects, rocks earth water all imbued with the same intelligence that guides and governs the movement of their particles according to some great infinite unknowable cosmic plan feel the sway of life through the myriad of all animate and inanimate objects which make up our known world the movement of the planets their rotations and orbits governed by the principles of physics the creation and death of stars the vast expanses of interstellar gas, nebulae, black holes, comets and asteroids, infinite in number, all existing according to the same intelligent plan dynamic instructions knowing that you are an inseparable part of this construct as you breathe Imagine your concept of self expanding beyond the physical. Your experience of self expanding outwards as energy. Or as light. Ultimately as consciousness. Expanding uniting and merging with every other aspect of creation from the present to the infinite indifferent to time
this expanded state of awareness. There can be no worry or care or limitation. Experiencing, conceptualizing yourself as this infinite expanded state of consciousness. Know that you are free, incorruptible. all-knowing and all-powerful. As you bring your awareness back to your breath, feel the force of life within yourself. You may experience it as a, a throb, a pulsation. energy or just a knowing rejoice in life Feel gratitude for the gift of life that you've been given, whatever your circumstance. This is the opportunity you've been given to know yourself through the agency of life, through the agency of mind, through the agency of the senses and the physical body. Rejoice in the life you've been given, whatever your circumstance. Don't waste the opportunity to inquire into the nature of who you really are. Life is the vehicle 
the vehicle you've been given to finally awaken to your own nature. It's consciousness itself. deeply, feel the air, feel your lungs, feel rested, replenished, purified. As you return to the awareness of your physical body, move your fingers and toes, take a deep breath, and when you're ready you can slowly begin to open your eyes. Okay, now, experiences feel good? Yeah, very calm, very relaxed, um, and aware of me. And what do you, what do you understand by me? Um, Normally, the me I know is very uptight and um, concerned about what needs to be done and concerned about taking responsibility for things. This me was the me that I've heard you mention before and that is part of everything. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice feeling. Mm. Um, it wasn't an escape, it was more of a, um, a recognition of where I sit. Beautiful. Not an escape, it's a return. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It's a return to who you actually are, according to the yogis. This mind-body is not who you actually are. So I was responding well to it by the sound of it. Absolutely. That's, oh, that was authentic. Lovely. I mean, it feels authentic, doesn't it? Even though we use imagination, words, thoughts to achieve the state, the experience is very real. Yes, mm. absolutely. That's how you know it's true. Mm. You have to trust your uh, experience. It's, it's actually a more reliable indicator than what mind would be telling you. Mind would be, particularly egoic mind, would be telling you this is all nonsense. Egoic mind wants you to believe that you're limited because egoic mind is that aspect of you that relies on its capacity to define you. Yes, and I feel that uh, as a day-to-day -day feeling. Um, what I didn't feel was um, spurious thoughts trying to intervene. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that. No. Was, which is unusual because from time to time when I'm meditating I do I do find the the thoughts coming and I, I just basically deal with it mm. but that, that didn't happen in this session mm. which was lovely that's the that's the uh, power of the imagery utilizing imagery and object whether in meditation it's a mantra but in this guided meditation it's imagery and a guiding voice 
Mm. And because it's so beguiling and so attractive to the mind, the mind is absorbed in that in that journey. And because the awareness can only ever be with one thing at a time. Even if thoughts were there at the periphery, you wouldn't have noticed them. They may have been there intermittently or maybe not at all. They subside eventually when they're deprived of the oxygen that they rely on, which is our awareness. When you take awareness away from thought, the thoughts perish, they can't persist. So that's the strategy. In fact, in a lot of the techniques we do, we're just simply harnessing awareness and redirecting it in a way that is more fulfilling and more real. I started the process with many thoughts mm -hmm. because we'd had a conversation before mm -hmm. uh, that uh, brought those thoughts to the front of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but they very soon went mm -hmm. and uh, was totally absorbed. As you say, the, the word is absorbed. Mm. Absorption, yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm, it's lovely. Yeah, it's absorption. That is a recognised process. Um, samadhi is the term. It means sameness and samadhi means that you merge. So you become one with the object of meditation. So, Or another way of saying it is that the experiencer being the subject the object of experience being the visualization or the mantra or whatever, the deity, and the experience, the experiencing by the subject of the object, that trichotomy dissolves, it merges. And then there's no difference between subject and object. When that subject-object field collapses, that's samadhi. It's a very high state of yoga, of, of meditation. Initially, as you say, when you're sitting to meditate, you start with an intention, usually, which is good. But the mind is often very restless and, and unruly. And so you've got to move through that field, through, you've got to navigate through the thought field and sometimes you'll be more successful than others. Sometimes the thoughts will hijack you on the way in, <laughs> right? And they, because they're, they're vying for your awareness. The thoughts are addicted to awareness. I didn't get hijacked this time. No, <laughs> but that's because you were being guided. But if you're doing it by yourself, I probably would. often you do. Mm, that's and, and that's a normal part of the process and it's okay. You don't have to consider that to be <clears throat> a problem. Um, but you do need to be patient and eventually what will happen if you continue with the technique is that eventually the thoughts will fall away because the object of meditation which is what we call the state capital S or the inner self or consciousness pure consciousness or the stillness is very ultimately very seductive and so we have to allow ourselves to be seduced by the deeper aspect of our nature. It's a voluntary act of seduction, of submission to seduction. You know, it's not seduction in the normal sense where there's a third party involved. That raises issues of ego, control, will, submission, victimization. This is seduction by a very sublime and what the Maharishi used to call it a charming state. There's a charming, charming, I think for me charming always seemed like a bit of an understatement but if you dwell on it to be charmed by something is to be lured in. A snake charmer. Mm. Someone is charming. Captivated. By yeah, them. captivating or beguiling. Mm. So, first and then captivating. Yeah, so that's what he's right in saying it's a charming state. It's charming mm. in the sense that it's mm. uh, luring you into it, almost a trance-like state where you're very happily submitting to the beauty, the... I don't know even if you can give it an attribute, but there is, a, there is some 
quality of the state that is so sublime and so fulfilling and satisfying that you quite voluntarily give yourself to that. And it repays you when you emerge by feeling replenished and joyful and whatever you, calm, whatever your experience is, that is the gift of the state to the subject that is prepared to surrender into it. That's the gift of the state to you. But knowing that the state is also you, this is where we're going to get to today when we talk about the yoga of acceptance, which is probably a good point to start examining that. What does that mean, the yoga of acceptance? Yoga means union. Okay, it's the, again, Sanskrit. Even if you listen to, yoga derives from the Sanskrit root uh, yuj, which means a yoke, a yoke that you yoke oxen to a cart. The letter Y is almost, is a pictogram of a yoke. So that the yuj, the union, is the tying of the, the oxen in, in the metaphor to the, to the cart. There's a linkage. Right, and so union and yuj. Union definitely derives from the Sanskrit word yuj, mm -hmm. which is also the root of the word yoga. So yoga is the union, but it's not the union of the oxen to the cart. It's the union of the small self, of the limited egoic self, to the expanded cosmic self. And then when that distinction breaks down between the part and the whole, all that exists then is the whole. It's the ocean re-entering, the drop re-entering the ocean. That's the, that's the perfect metaphor, they use it a lot. That we consider ourselves and identify ourselves as the drop, not as the ocean. But in fact we're all droplets. We're all droplets out of the same ocean. But the ego wants us to maintain the illusion that we are limited, defined, bounded in name and form but there's no relief in that because that's where all the suffering is suffering is the consequence of living according to the concept that we are mortal finite vulnerable powerless, right? These are all egoic, highly egoic concepts. Limited, can't have what I want when I want it. Finite, you know, limited in capacity. And suffering comes from pain, but it doesn't necessarily need to. Yeah, and so if you... You can go through pain and... Exactly, suffering. that's what we talked about, wasn't it? Pain it is was. not the same as suffering. It was, yeah. So you can endure the pain knowing that it's... A, firstly, it's a temporary phenomenon. From the standpoint of the yogis that say that your true nature is infinite, imperishable, then this is only a very temporary experience, life. We know that anyway, even without referring to yoga. We know that we're on this planet for, what, 80 to 100 years now. It used to be 40 to 60, then it went 60 to 80, and now we're pushing 100. But it's still very limited. Um, and so what are we trying to... So, so we get thrown into this maelstrom with this construct that we've got 80 years. Mm. And we've got to achieve everything in 80 years because then we're going to die and then it all ends. Right, so immediately that we buy that mythology, that fiction, we're, we're caught from that very moment. And what all of yoga is seeking to do is to unpack and reverse and demolish that whole construct of our limitation. But it's hard because this material experience is very compelling. It seems so real. It is very compelling. Um, and the situations that you uh, 
come across or are intimately involved with have an effect on you, on your mind and your heart and your body, actually. True. Um, and when that happens, it almost um, reinforces the fact that you're powerless. And, True. And you are separate. Uh, and it would be lovely to be able to transcend that. That's why we meditate. But I mean, it's, it's an easy trap to fall into because it's the obvious trap is to believe in the, this material existence as if that's all there is. Because unless you've ever had an experience of being other than that, why would you even th consider that this wasn't the, the totality of everything? You're born, I mean, your eyes, your senses, your mind, and what everyone is telling you is confirming the same thing, and that is that you're going to be born and you're going to die. And, and that life's a bugger. Yeah, and you can't argue with that at a, at a rational level. You can't. There's no argument with that fact. But the point is that rationality is a function of mind. Mind is already bought into the bargain. So it's sort of like you're trying to paint yourself out of a room, but, but there's no door. I get it, absolutely, yes. You see, but what we're saying is, what if you just imagine the wall wasn't there and you just walked through? And you'd say, well, how is that even possible? Well, the answer is, you have to try. You have to just experiment and be willing to experience yourself as something outside of the frame. Do you know, Einstein said that a problem can never be solved from the level of consciousness that creates the problem. In other words, this is what we talk about, isn't it, in corporate training, the corporate sphere, we think outside of the square. So the square is the boundary around the problem. The square is the boundary. Every problem has a boundary, has a set of parameters that define it. And we use mind to try and do that. But then what the wise ones would say is, you have to get outside of the problem before you can start to see the solution. If you're working within the problem space, you'll never have the perspective to see the problem in context, in its totality, and therefore you won't get the insight that you need to solve the problem. The best problem solving is around thinking outside of the square. Meditation is effectively the, the parallel to that, but instead of the square being <clears throat> the problem the square is the ego the, mm. the square defines self it's the boundary around notions of self whereas the square in the problem example is the parameters of the problem is the boundary around the problem let's say the problem is um i don't know getting clean water to a village that is not accessible, you've done work in that space. Mm. So there's the problem. Mm. And you can look at it as a mechanical, like a logistical problem, but maybe there are other ways of approaching it, you know, that could be completely unexpected, but brilliant. And yet, and often yeah. the solution comes from not thinking in the traditional ways. Correct, and uh, if you stay within the square or the boundary, um, thinking of it in a different way, um, you're really staying within your egoic space. That's it. And so if you jump out of that space, mm -hmm. you have all of a sudden um, more tools to That's use right. to solve the problem. That's why brainstorming, they say, should never be done in a critical environment where people are fearful of suggesting outlandish things. Mm. Because the ego, basically you're giving people permission to disarm their own ego and yes. to just be open and make a fool of themselves if need be. Mm. But that's because the mission is so much greater than the ego, the value of the ego. And so you say to people, don't criticize anyone's idea and don't, don't limit your own capacity to just come out with whatever comes. Mm. 
So there in that in that example there is a transcendence of ego. And that's why it's a powerful problem solving tool. I like the idea of using that in business because what goes on in business is those who are appear to be or um, monetarily are the most successful have the biggest egos. Mm -hmm. And they don't like to accept other people's views necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very difficult for them to jump outside their own ego. Well, because it's worked for them. Yeah, the thing it's, it's made that, them successful. Yeah, so according to that metric of success being money, Mm. which yogis consider to be valuable and or power and knowledge yeah but money is a power money is surrogate for mm -hmm. power mm -hmm. money and power are equivalent in the sense that money can make things happen yeah so uh, their whole frame of reference has reinforced the fallacy actually it just happens to work for them and within that frame it's fine but if that's all but that, and therefore they've had no reason to question the paradigm it's worked. Because it's worked for them. Mm. But for anyone that's not operating in that paradigm, they can see the limitation. And in the ex example you say is that one of the byproducts of that can be egoism. Because they come to believe in the, the fallacy of their own, of the fiction of what it was that created their success. Mm. Anyway, to go back a step, we're talking about the transcendence of the egoic boundary. Now, this is where I want to get to this idea of the yoga of acceptance. In our society, we are often a lot of dissatisfaction and, and uneasiness and, and unhappiness or suffering comes from our natural tendency to want things to be other than what they are. We're constantly on a quest to optimize our lives by trying to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. Those are the two principles. It's like slalom down a mountain and you're trying to avoid the, the pleasure flags, sorry, avoid the pain flags and trying to hit the pleasure ones. And that's what life is for most people. And the problem with that approach is that it's not guaranteed. And I mean, you know, situations where you've apparently done everything right and then misfortune comes from left field and you think, this can't be happening to me mm. because I've done everything that I said, that I was told that would give me success, happiness, whatever. But it doesn't work like that. Sometimes karma has something in store for you that you had no way of anticipating. <clears throat> and so what do you do in a situation where you are thrust into circumstances that you have no control over? Well, it's, um, you ask yourself a question about how people managed um, in the Holocaust. Uh, they were living good lives and they were working very hard, mm. they were very busy at, um, looking after themselves and their families and things were working really well and bang, out of left field, they end up in a concentration camp. Yep. How on earth did they manage it? And, ma and many people did manage it mm. uh, without the degree of suffering that most people had. Yeah, and so I think, well, the yogis would say, if you're in a situation that you absolutely cannot control, you've got two choices. One is you can rail against the situation, <coughs> beat yourself up, beat your head against the wall, uh, indulge in self-pity, um, indulge in condemnation or blame but ultimately none of those things will actually change the situation will change how you feel often they'll make you work, feel worse mm -hmm. they actually intensify your, your suffering all those attitudes are suffering intensifiers mm -hmm. 
So they say there's another choice you can take. They also have a negative effect on those around you. Definitely. If they're also trapped in the same dilemma, Correct. then you're not only intensifying your own suffering, you're intensifying theirs as well. Yeah. Because so it, as you say, it, it just magnifies the problem absolutely. rather than diminishing it. It's, in, it's being self-indulgent. Mm. Now, I'm talking about a situation where there is actually no solution available. I'm not talking about a situation where, but for a bit more effort or a bit more ingenuity or something, you could actually find your way through. But I'm talking about an extreme case where you are absolutely trapped. That's why I use the um, Holocaust as, right. as an example, because that is what I saw as a situation where <laughs> people were put through the worst situation <coughs> of lack of control. They had no control. <coughs> yeah. So that's a good example. Mm. So if resistance and self-pity and blame and condemnation, <coughs> excuse me, are not going to get you through. You can see why that wouldn't have worked in that situation. Couldn't work. No. Um, the yogis offer another way. And while initially it might sound weak, it's actually the more intelligent strategy and the strategy is acceptance of the circumstance as it is. Now let's explore what happens when you move from self-pity to acceptance. In self-pity the mind is continually attacking you. The egoic thoughts, <clears throat> why me, why me, you go through the whole routine. And what you immediately lose is any sense of peace, any sense of calmness, any sense of equanimity, any sense of solace that you could find within yourself, that at least is a holding position that is not the equivalent to suffering. So that's your, that's your choice. <coughs> Acceptance is actually the pathway to peace, to solace, to some form of relief. Even though you can't change the external con context, you are able to at least live within yourself. And live with it. With, and live with it. And possibly, and here's, here's a bit of a left field idea, maybe you give yourself the opportunity for insight that wouldn't ordinarily come. So maybe there is the possibility of a, a resolution that, could, that it never comes when the egoic mind has you as its prisoner. You see, when you give yourself so the space. Out of the square. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a Zen koan. <coughs> a, a riddle or a conundrum paradox that they give the student. I remember one, um, the master says to the student, how do you get the goose out of the bottle? So you imagine there's a goose trapped inside a bottle. <laughs> right. The neck of the bottle is smaller than the goose. And the, the student is challenged to figure out a, a resolution to get the goose out of the bottle. And, and I, I guess the process is that they're thinking of every possible way that that could happen logically and there's no solution. And then finally the student says, I give in, I surrender, I, don't, I just don't know. And the master goes, it's out. So basically, not trying to use the mind, but just imagining the goose is out of the bottle, seeing the goose as out of the bottle, is what gets the goose out of the bottle. But you never get to that through effort or, or application or suffering. It's just giving yourself permission to surrender to the fact that there is no solution and therein lies the solution.
Do you get that? It's very subtle. But I think I get it. It's, it is very subtle. Uh, I'm not sure that I would have come to that same conclusion. No, I? but you wouldn't because you'd be mo using your rational mind. And an accountant, and accountants that are always very rational. Right, so you'd be doing <laughs> what everyone does. Yeah. And what, what he's it's saying... In the bottle. What he's saying <laughs> is... stay in the bottle. Think outside of the square. Basically think outside of the bottle. Mm. Mm. I mean, there could be other answers. I mean, it's an imaginary, it's a thought experiment. Yeah, so you can, so you can say, well, the bottle just isn't there anymore. Mm. That's equally valid as the goose is in a bottle. <laughs> but the point is that acceptance is where is gives you the liberation, gives you the freedom to do two things. Firstly, it gives you immediate respite from the suffering. If you just say. I often find this when I go to India. India is such a perfect place for forcing you to confront the limits of your own power and control. Because India is one of those countries where if you go in there with a mindset of resistance, of trying to uh, engineer particular outcomes, almost invariably it'll throw roadblocks in front of you. And they will, at, at times I've been crying with frustration, literally in India one time I was crying I just got to the point where I couldn't resolve the issue I'd done a workshop in India and there were issues getting paid because I didn't have an Indian tax number and the process to get a tax number was excruciatingly difficult and and <laughs> and basically impossible for my someone in my position yeah. you, get, you get caught in a bureaucratic loop yeah. that has no end Mm. And after you go around six times, you're starting to think there is no solution. I absolutely experienced this idea. <laughs> in I have also experienced that sort of thing in Indonesia. Right. Mm. So you know, it's you get to that position of helplessness. Yeah. It's like a Monty Python. And each step you take to you that you think is actually going to help resolve it gets actually digs, digs a deeper hole yeah. for you. Yeah. You get deeper and deeper because <laughs> yeah. you're using will. You're getting angry, you're getting frustrated, and none of that is helping. And you you yell and scream as I've done in India, shouting at officials, and nothing changes anything <laughs> because they've seen it all before. It's just another Westerner not understanding how to cope with India. That would work as well in India as it works in Indonesia. Yeah, mm. which is not at all. Not at all. So then I got to the point where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to surrender to the situation. I don't know, this problem is bigger than me, bigger than my capacity <laughs> to ever resolve. And so what I'm going to do instead is I'm just going to trust in the universe. I'm going to ask for help outside of myself and just say, I can't do this. I'm surrendering. And so there's an acceptance of my powerlessness. You accept that you're powerless. That is actually the first step, believe it or not, to actually resolving the issue. And so here's what happened. In that case, I just expressed my powerlessness. I owned my powerlessness. And I, I, firstly, I had to accept it in myself, which I don't like to do because I'm pretty determined when I need to be. And so that's, a, that's an ego step, is to go, you know what, I just can't do this. And then the second step was to ask for help, which is also something that ego often doesn't like to do. Because ego likes to think it can solve everything. And so you go to people and you say, I can't do this. This is beyond me. And then if you're talking to the right people, invariably they seem to appear when you get to that point, the people emerge. It's amazing how that works, actually. When you actually put it out there that you cannot solve the problem but you need help, quite often the help comes. That really is something that I have not thought through, but it, it did for me in Indonesia too. Mm. I was outside a... Um, actually, I was inside um, a restaurant. And in Indonesia, um, they do... Um, what I call the bumper cars when they park cars for you. You don't park your own car, there's always someone there to park it for you. 
And when you come out of the restaurant, you call your driver and your driver goes to get the car out of wherever it's been parked, not by the driver, by whoever is the ch in charge of the car park. And uh, our driver came back to us and said, um, I'm sorry to inform you, but the car has been damaged in the parking. Mm. So I started to jump up and down and went to the car park manager and said, you can't do this, you need to pay for the fix, mm. blah, blah, blah. And my uh, driver said, please stop. Um, we need to talk about this with the car park manager. Um, otherwise, they will get very angry with you mm. and the end result will be worse. Mm. So um, I did shut up, but not in time because uh, they took my, my driver's, driver's license away from him. And they said, you may go to the, po the police station um, and you'll have to go to the police station because your driver's license will be there. Your mm. driver's driver's license will be there. And you may uh, regain your driver's license, looking at him, when you go there. But of course, um, we did have to go there. We did go there, but there was a large sum of money involved before the driver's license was given back to wow. the driver. So, um, my husband and I both said uh, to the police officers, we don't speak Bahasa Indonesia, we don't know about this, and we nobody is allowed in Australia to take the license away from someone. They have to leave them with their license unless they've done something against the law. We had done no, my driver had done nothing wrong. And uh, so the truth of the matter was we did speak Bahasa Indonesia, but it was it was the way out to say we can't do this. Mm. We get, we don't know the language. We can't bargain with you. Mm. We don't know. We knew that we were asking for a lot of money. Um, can you help us? And they gave him back his license, and mm. they reduced the amount of money to a manageable amount. But that's exactly like mm. the situation that you you surrendered to the situation. Yeah. Because you accepted that there was no other way. Yeah. So that's the grace. Now this brings me to this grace surrender dynamic mm. right so there's this concept in many paths called grace grace is really the bestowal of an unearned uh, boon or um, benefit yeah and uh, because it's unearned so it's a key point Mm. There's nothing you can do to actually earn it. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be so just. It's a gratuitous. Yeah, benefit. it has to be gratuitous. If it was earned, it wouldn't be grace. It would be reward for effort. Mm. Mm. So that's the distinction. Now, grace comes with surrender. You don't oh, get. Oh wow! It's all clicking now. See. Mm. So you first you have to accept the situation. Mm. Then you have to surrender to it. Acceptance is the first stage of surrender. Mm. Right, it's the various stages of the process. But you, so when when I talk about the yoga, the union mm. of acceptance, what you're doing is you are to 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 accept is a big step down for the ego. To do that, you have to swallow your pride. You have to admit. I'm not a swallower of pride. No, but sometimes you have to be. Well, and, <laughs> well, and you, I was in that case. But, it, see, uh, but you know, it was very difficult for me to do that. But until you can, there's going to be suffering. And there was. <laughs> because the ego is ego. Active ego equals suffering. Ego in retreat, ego disarmed, mm. ego in abeyance. You know, ego mm. neutralized is the way through the suffering. I think, I think also what, because um, I wasn't aware obviously of anything to do with meditation or or, or this acceptance um, issue, one of the deciders for me to say, okay, can't do it, help, was because I could see my driver was suffering right. very, very badly. Yeah. And it was his license they'd taken. So you felt 
an obligation to defend him. Yeah, uh, but the, the, my methodology of defending him was clearly failing. Not working, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it was... The, the, the way I felt after it was, oh my God, thank heavens, I just stepped back and said, sorry. So, so something guided you. There must have been a realisation at some level. You were seeing that it wasn't working. Yeah. And then you did the only thing that you could have done in that situation, really, and that was to just acknowledge your powerlessness and to basically throw yourself on the mercy of the, those in, apparently in control. But see, what really was happening, this is what I would say, through the great surrender dynamic was that they are following instructions too. Internal, you could say part of the intelligence of consciousness that we talked about, is the moment that you surrender, you've already invoked the grace dynamic. They are simply the vehicles or the instruments through which the grace operates and at that moment they change. Because That's it, so true. Yeah. That's so true. A lot of it is influenced by culture as well. Mm -hmm. um, the Indonesian culture has a lot of grace in it. Mm. Um, so there's much more grace than there is aggression. And people don't get that because mm -hmm. they see a lot of the a lot of the aggression more than they see of the grace. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I I, I can sense that now that that's, that's what, what happened. They actually yeah. had no choice, according to my formulation or the formulation around grace surrender. Mm. They had no choice but to relent because of the, <laughs> the no because of the sincerity of your surrender. Mm. It's out of it's actually taken out of their hands. Mm, mm. If you could imagine that the universal consciousness is now seeing what's going on here, has seen the act of surrender and the grace flows, the grace can only flow in that situation through them. Mm. They're the guys in control mm. and that's what you triggered. And it takes a lot of faith though and when you say, you know, there's a lot of grace in Indonesia, grace is everywhere you look. If you develop the eye for it, and if you develop the instrument of surrender and you hone and perfect your instrument of surrender, which basically means quickly seeing where ego is trying to hijack you and getting better and better at disarming it earlier in the piece. Not to say that a certain amount of friction at some point won't be strategically relevant. You had to kick up a stink initially, perhaps, to show that you were serious. But eventually, Who knows? It, I don't know either. My, my, my driver um, warned me afterwards never to do that. Again. Yeah, so it could so have been that if you'd surrendered. Shouldn't have. Yeah. If I'd surrendered up front, it would be yeah, it fixed probably, without all that. In that case. Yeah. So it comes down to how much faith you're prepared to put. And th this is a big ask of the ego. Because the ego wants nothing to do with surrender. <laughs> That's right? right, yeah. It wants nothing to do with surrender. Surrender basically renders ego irrelevant. And the thing that ego hates more than anything is to be ignored. The moment that you surrender and you say, I can't do this, you're basically telling the ego that it is no longer has any role, any part in this, and that you're calling on, let's say, a higher force than the ego. The ego likes to believe it's the only force, mm. right? But you're calling on the higher force, which of course already knows what the answer is. And, and, and you call forth that as, you, as we were stepping outside of the square and problem solving, in that act of transcendence of ego, right? In that act of stepping outside of the boundary that defines you according to your concept, that at that point, grace has to come. And my teacher used to say, this is a beautiful analogy he said it's like the calf coming up to the mother, to the cow, and suckling on the udder, submitting to the source of milk. He says in that moment the cow has but no, no choice but for the milk to come down. That's the descent of grace. That's, that's a really good analogy. Isn't that beautiful? That is really beautiful. It's a lovely analogy. That's that's what happens. So mm. when you as the seeker, the the 
one that has committed to knowing yourself at the deepest level starts to do the work around being mindful of ego living your life in faith that actually you'll get you are being taken care of at some level and trusting that enough that you can sacrifice every impulse that you have to do the opposite to resist and instead to trust in the universe to accept whatever the circumstance and to surrender you start your life takes on a whole new meaning a whole new dynamic because now nothing's your problem anymore mm. I can see that in my Buddhist daughter-in-law it's very liberating mm. she uh, she lives that life but it takes courage and see this is why acceptance it is not weakness take, it does take courage acceptance is not weakness acceptance takes a huge amount of courage mm. and that's the power of acceptance and this is the paradox I can, I can see absolutely now that it's, it's not a weak approach not at all isn't, no. but in our culture it's always the opposite because we're very embedded in the material it's always uh, if something is not working, I'm not trying hard enough, I'm not using enough force. And so we go to the brute force situation, argumentation, conflict, whatever, mm. litigation, mm. whatever it takes. Mm. Whereas um, the yogic approach of the living... Now, look, you've got to be judicious in how you apply this. I'm not going to say that in every situation, sometimes, uh, you know, discriminating judicious action is required. So this is where judgment comes in. So that the big caveat on this entire discourse is always to utilize judgment. But it has to be the judgment. Yes, but it has to be the judgment of a dispassionate mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You got it? And the, and and therefore you have a toolkit. We talk about developing the toolkit of strategies. Sometimes the best strategy is one of just acceptance and surrender. And then you will invoke the surrender grace dynamic and the more that you do it this is the other fantastic thing that you discover the more that you start to live your life in that way the more grace shows up grace is showing up all the time seriously mm. and i guess um as you go through the process of making that move in your mind towards acceptance rather than fighting it's not fight or flight anymore it's um, fight or um, apply power um, as against acceptance the more you, uh, you utilize that tool of applying that concept the acceptance concept mm. the more you'll see the grace yeah and then um, it becomes much easier yep. to accept many more situations. And ironically, the more power you get. Indeed. Because yeah. now I have the power. Without forcing it. Yep. Now I have the power to invoke grace at any time. Grace mm. solves all problems. Mm. Much better than the human mind can do. Look mm. at your situation. Mm. You know, you could have called in the lawyers and done whatever was necessary and it still wouldn't have worked but the thing that worked was the surrender the tool of surrender triggers the grace the grace solves the problem so you, you suddenly become the most powerful person in the room well the car park as the case may be yeah <laughs> so that's the challenge that's the invitation is to start living by these principles i'm so pleased i came today <laughs> It's a, it's a great secret that it's really so easy, but it does take courage and trust. And and it's not intuitive. It's definitely not. None of this is intuitive because intuitive no. would imply, you know, how could that be? How could that be that you could give into a situation and still prevail? But that's that seems to be what happens. So, yeah, that this is the yoga of acceptance. 
And what happens is the union, you see, where does the yoga come to this? Yoga is, is the union of the individual limited self with the expanded cosmic being, being your true nature. The when acceptance, when the grace dynamic, surrender grace dynamic is flowing, there's very little concept of self. Because you've already given it away. You've moved, you had to move that out of mm. the frame mm. for it to work. So in that moment, there is bliss, there's freedom. Mm -hmm. There's suddenly a recognition, as you said at the beginning, that you were never powerless. You were never alone. Mm. So that's how it all works. The, the yoga of acceptance. You've got to run this again for these guys who are normally here. Oh, the recording will be there. Mm. Anyway. Alright, so that's great. We're going to stop now and we're going to meditate for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we might return to this topic at some time in the future.